Welcome back to Gateways, a podcast about the people, places, and possibilities of our regional cities. I'm Dr. Tracy Corley, Transit-Oriented Development Fellow at Mass Inc. On this episode of Gateways, we're bringing you highlights from a conversation I had with the folks at Fitchburg's Monachusett Regional Transit Authority, or MART. MART offers local and regional bus service in north-central Massachusetts. It also brokers the Massachusetts Health and Human Service Transportation Program through partnerships with six different state agencies. Through their unique model, MART was able to cut paratransit costs in half and provide fast and efficient service to those in need of transport to health care and human service appointments. I spoke with eight people who work very closely with the brokerage service program. Today you'll be hearing from a few people in particular. We start with two folks from MART, Mo Khan, the General Administrator, and the Deputy Administrator, Bruno Fisher. We'll also hear about how, in addition to healthcare transportation, MART plays a significant economic development role in our gateway cities. For that, we'll hear from Humanshu Bhatnagar, CEO and founder of HB Software Solutions. For a little bit more background, this company has helped MART innovate how it intakes the many requests of riders. It also coordinates rides to appointments based on passengers' unique needs. From an economic development standpoint, MART subcontractors compete to provide the best service of transporting passengers to medical and human services appointments. The program encourages entrepreneurship in our gateway cities, especially among immigrants. Hamanshu will speak in more detail about that, but the first voice you'll hear is Mo's. There are six RTAs providing brokerage services. Mo explains how MART is able to serve 70% of the entire state. From its base in Fitchburg, MART provides 6 million of the roughly 8 million total rides provided by the RTAs to get people to their appointments. So we are a much larger operation. The reason we are larger because we we get 250 vendors, we make them compete, and provide the um, cost on a competitive basis uh, as much as we can. And we try to do it any every month or a quarterly. I don't know um, that we we get involved with that. Uh, so that's that's the reason that we are uh, working. Um, the other issues involved with this transportation is this, which we are trying to get the innovation part of it, which state is helping us with assistance, some money, is how we can combine more people together, uh, utilize more um, space on the vans for various agency. And as you know, the more people on a van means less cost. So that's what we are doing. At the current time, our expenditures is about about $25, including our uh, average, uh, including the, uh, uh, what do you call it, this um, wheelchairs and others, which is costly, um, compared with the ride, like in Boston, that is over $50, $50, $60. So, and we are, uh, I think most of our, 60% of our operation is in Boston. So we are uh, at the same level. So it looks like that uh, we are working. In terms of the uh, individual industries, the business, uh, I think uh, Himangshu has started talking to you that we took mom and pop operations and make them a big one. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of, it generated a lot of jobs. Yeah. They bought a lot of vehicles and they are now in a good business right now helping the state. Um, so to turn it back over to, I mean, just the amazing way in which you have managed to drop the costs 
that it what it takes uh, for providing these services. Can you talk a little bit more about you know the way that that actually happened and the way you achieved that here at Mart? So the cost um, containment or cost management of medical transportation was achieved through a very innovative way, and uh, it really mirrors the way stock markets work where the price for the trip is set by the market forces, not by us or by the vendors. And what we did was we provided technology to enable vendors to compete and make bid their prices for different towns, regions, types of services they can provide. And then we would use algorithms to determine what's the best suited vendor for a specific ride, which includes their past performance, their capacity of doing the rides, as well as their cost that they have quoted. Now that allowed us to create a very fair and equitable business model where any vendor without their back-end relationships with anybody could, you know, could come in and become a supplier for services for Mart. Now that fostered a unique uh, business opportunity in Massachusetts that did not exist anywhere when they first started in late 90s and early 2000 which is to have third-party commercial transportation providers bid freely on government projects and then win them, as opposed to four or five having long-term contracts, five years contracts, and then uh, just deal with the cost escalation. Now, by putting them in a competitive mode, they had to do all the optimization of their operations themselves. But Mart would get the best possible rate at the best possible service. Now, the fact that they have less than one-tenth of a percent of complaints to the number of trips that they provide should also tell you that the business model is very, very effective. So that's how we were able to. Now, when ACA came about and a lot more uh, members were added, uh, Mart was just able to scale that by just tweaking the technology and putting a little more oomph into the servers but they didn't have to really go out and hire a whole bunch of new departments, new staff to add more services. So it's through operational innovations that you were able to really reduce the marginal cost of actually being able to serve more people with the MART system. Right, so I think it's a couple of things. One is a flash in the pan kind of, oh, I achieved a significant cost saving one, one year, two years. MART, on the other hand, has been able to, through uh, intelligent use of business processes and technology, able to achieve a significantly stable pricing models across year over year over year. So if you look at it, in last 10 years, our cost has gone up from $15, uh, $16 on average to $20, Now imagine if you do the multiplier of the CPI index or the inflation, we beat that. So the argument is that because they are nonprofit, which means they are not driven by profit making. Because they are equal and uh, fair and equitable to all the providers, uh, it creates a very uh, positive environment for businesses to flourish. They're not running around complaining, oh, Mart is screwing us and things like that. They don't do that. On the other hand, they're always queuing up, as Becky was saying some time back, that they have about eight to 10 new applications every month because we have an open enrollment system here. It's not like you didn't bid, now you're locked out, you'll never be able to get in. And that, so whenever you have competition, whenever you have opportunities for new businesses, that has always has a good impact, positive impact on the management of costs, services, and facts like that. So I think 
the uniqueness here is a combination of it being for non-profit agency, being a governmental agency, being creating an open business environment. And then the most important thing in this was that in the early stages, Mart seeded a lot of these businesses. Because one of the biggest problems in small business, and I being one, know that, is a cash flow. Mm -hmm. So if you provide rides, and then you don't get to see the money for 60 days, how do you pay your drivers? Yeah. And the banks typically will do collateral-based funding. They're not gonna give you operational funding. So what do you do? So Mart used to say the moment they submitted, the, the moment the bill was processed, which they would do, they would release 85%, then later on they brought it down to 65, 35, and now they don't have to do it because they're all self-reliant. So fine. it's this, this deep entrenchment that Mart had in the economic infrastructure of the state has allowed you to create 250, 60 new transportation companies, mm -hmm. and you know they employ almost six, 7,000 drivers. This is a very important conversation. I just returned from Brazil where I saw there uh, in Rio de Janeiro the bus rapid transit system where they have a similar model uh, for the BRT system that they put in place in 2010. And it's already crumbling because people are literally tearing it apart because they don't have this kind of relationship between the vendors that actually provide the BRT service and the management that was happening. So the city actually had to go in as an emergency to take over the BRT system, which serves 900,000 people a day. And those people are actually literally ripping the buses apart, tearing up the stations, because they're so angry. And so to hear about you know having a really good system in place that's actually fostering really great businesses, a nonprofit organization that is doing so much good work to foster economic development in our gateway cities is very important. And so you also mentioned about the immigrant populations of the gateway cities. Since you talked about gateway cities, let me just uh, share with you. One of the biggest problems of landed immigrants here is what do you do? And I met, meet a lot of them because I do some uh, part-time teaching on Saturdays in a Kumon Center in Lowell, where there's a lot of gateway city residents come in. A lot of them do two, two jobs, three jobs. Okay, the important thing is that I've met quite a few of them that have PhDs. But where do they work? They have to go and work in home, home nursing and home care because they can't find suitable jobs. But there are a lot of them who are very, very entrepreneurial. Now this becomes a standard thing you have you land here if you're entrepreneurial what do you do you go to mart what do you do you buy a bus or a van and you become a transportation company now imagine for a uh, landed immigrant to be able to start a business within one year of them landing here not only do they uh, open up the uh, the uh, opportunities for themselves and their family but they're also opening up new jobs for people in the communities in Lowell Lawrence Fitchburg, uh, Springfield, Wooster, a lot of them are gateway cities. So it has a very important role. And if you look at the, the 278 or 280-odd providers that we have, a large majority of them are immigrant-owned, the businesses. So it has you know, a significant role that MART has played in the economic development at that level here. And what role has it played in the development of your business? Well, I'm a little different because I went to school here. I spent six years in grad school. But yes, um, when I was looking for starting a business because I always wanted to be, and I was very entrepreneurial, I contacted uh, Mart. They were looking for some new software system. They threw a challenge at me, do it. And this was the days of 20 megahertz CPUs and no RAM. 
<laughs> and say, well, you know, remember the good thing is that now they have so much powerful computers, but the time it takes on the phone to book a trip was the same then it is now. Mm -hmm. So we had to come up with a very innovative solution to implement the, the challenges that they had, automation challenges, and they liked it. And since then, 20 years later, we have grown from, you know, doing um, just work from Mart and 1,200 trips a day. Do you remember the very first time, Becky? Now we are processing 21,000 trips right here in, in Fitchburg, covering three-fourths of the state. Mm -hmm. And nationally, we are in 17 states, and we are now uh, processing almost 2 million trips a month, which is about 24 million trips a year. So we not only have helped Mart here, but I think because of the knowledge and the technology that we built, which I can share with you later on, but we, we are helping a lot of other uh, state agencies in the country. Uh, but I just want to talk a little bit also more about what the fixed root services. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the relationship between the health and human services and just the general kind of fixed root services? Like, so for example, for me, like going and hopping on the bus, I came in on the train. It was a great ride this morning. Uh, but, you know, can you just talk a little bit more about uh, the, what relationship, if any, uh, exists between the fixed root and the health and human services, brokerage services? And if not, um, what what possibilities are there? What is happening right now is that we are now like working with Himangsho and the computerized part of it. We are also trying to work with the company to accommodate more people. But we have more uh, issues with the um, our brokerage, you know, like the human services agencies they have very restricted rule of an individual cannot be shared with somebody, individual has certain issues or a problem, they cannot be a part of a regular. So we are trying to group them, and as we say, our motto is to get more people there. So what they're doing right now is that they are isolating vehicles, they're using those vehicles for a day. Uh, for our other services like ADA service, and other services, and trying to concentrate those vehicles empty for an hour or two hours to provide the brokerage operation. Mm. Uh, it, it costs us less because it is only a window you are using. Uh, so that's the reason that they don't have too much involvement, but we are trying to increase that, and that's our goal to increase maybe this three million to double that amount uh, on that. So that uh, we have uh, several other innovative thinking that we might have to use in the future. Like we do go to Boston and other areas. Uh, we take a van and go there. It costs 60, 70 dollars to do that job. If we can work it out with the commuter rail, for example, uh, we bring a person from Gardner to our station and then put them in the commuter rail and pick them up in Boston North Station if they're going to Mass General Hospital or something. So it required to end and here, and this is another area uh, of challenge, and that cost is gonna go down for the state. Well, that's a very good point. I think last time we were here, because as I was kind of envisioning how the Health and Human Services brokerage service worked, I was actually envisioning someone would just give you a call. 
you would just dispatch a van and go pick them up. Uh, but it sounds like there's a lot of logistics and coordination that needs to happen, not only with where they're going, but also what some of the restrictions might be on that particular passenger. Um, but when it comes to those who are able to get on the commuter rail and use other public transport, that would um, uh, kind of complement, as you were mentioning, like for example, getting on the commuter rail and then having your service pick them up whenever they get to the other end of the line, that requires having more frequent, reliable service that is running all day. So that if someone's appointment runs long, that they can actually, you know, get back to the commuter rail, get back here to Fitchburg, for example, and then be picked up again by your service. So there's a lot of challenges on that um, on that end, and I think you picked up uh, correctly. Uh, fixed route service stops at certain point and everything. But we do have alternative, like in other words, it's not working, we send a van, and that's how we are working. By the way, this transit authority all by itself, nothing to do with the HST, without them, we carry uh, demand-oriented service, which is a dial-a-ride service in a van, and you won't believe it, we are the number two in the entire state. out of the 15 transit authority. And the number one, which is Pioneer Valley Transit Authority, is number four in terms of the carrying that many people. So we have a huge, large, and but when we go to the state, our total number is not that much because when you carry an individual in a van, it, it, it is a concentrated effort, but you can count only one person. <laughs> so, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So one thing, one thing I wanted to add, and I think Becky would probably have to throw more light on that, that even though we are looking to coordinate rides across uh, different funding sources or different uh, departments, and uh, you asked Melissa that how is fixed route play with the, with the brokerage in Mart, more tight to explain that a little more. I just want to add one more level of clarity. The, the key thing here is sharing of government-funded resources, mm-hmm. which is what reduces the cost. And by using uh, paratransit vans or fixed routes vehicles for providing HST rides allows you to do a greater sharing of state-funded resources. And, but one of the key things in this is even though we are trying to commingle a lot of this work and trying to reduce the cost, we still have a significant number of restrictions on sending people all by themselves. As he was saying that we cannot put this person with this person. So there's a lot of that kind of complexity. The Becky can give you some illustration on that. Uh, that. That you require to incorporate, which is why the technology gets in very useful. The next voice you'll hear is Bruno Fisher, Deputy Administrator for MART. He talks more about the evolving connection between the brokerage service and fixed route service, which is what we typically think about as public transportation. So that means for MART, they mostly provide bus service. Let's hear from Bruno. I think you were looking into the piece about uh, kind of how we can start to connect the the transit and the brokerage, and at least in in our area, um, we're starting to do that. So we've actually been the recipient of um, multiple grants over the years, but uh, most recently um, we are working on a 
couple of federal grants, a Rides to Wellness grant and then an Innovation and Mobility grant um, from the FTA, uh, again, competitively awarded uh, from across the country. Uh, and most recently, we got um, um, uh, the discretionary grants that MassDOT was uh, was doing. There was a, they had $4 million of discretionary funds, but they uh, got so many applications from the RTAs that they actually funded, I think, about $5.2 million worth. Uh, and so our portion of that was about three hundred, um, almost four hundred and four hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars worth. Um, uh, two hundred seventy-eight, which was kind of capital-related uh, purchasing software and equipment, and then uh, two hundred ten, which is um, related more to actual the operation. So all those the rides to wellness was very specific to trying to get more people um, uh, to medical appointments, you know, who may not be eligible for um, you know government uh, subsidized services like Mass Health or or, or DDS or something, um, uh, because a, a lot of what they're identifying probably through HHS and FTA and everybody working together is that uh, a lot of people are ending up in the medical system with much more severe problems because they don't get to a you know a, maybe a, just a wellness appointment to you know to see their doctor on a regular basis and by the time they're seen um, their condition is not something that can be treated easily it's you know much more either uh, you know, hospitalization or the like. Um, so that was very specific to, to, to that, and, and we've been working on software uh, that uh, can get more people in to be able to call and say, you know, here's where I need to go. And so, again, by trying to tie them in with other work that's already out there, whether it be uh, brokerage vendors who may be finishing up runs and, you know, so the marginal cost of saying, well, you know, I've already got my driver and vehicle paid for, and you know, if I do 10 extra trips, I don't have to get, you know, full pricing for those because I've already, you know, paid for the driver for the day. Um, same thing with this innovation and mobility grant from FTA, and, and, and probably the same with this micro transit grant is we're trying to get more um, uh, you know people being able to to go into a system an application and actually look to book trips uh, and try to reserve trips and then see almost you know, on demand uh, from a from the standpoint of either you know maybe not immediately pick them up in the next few minutes, but certainly either sometimes same day later that day for a same day trip, or certainly next day to try to see if we can get more people again, as Mancho mentioned, on the existing services because there are lots and lots of resources out there that various agencies are paying for, and you know not all of them are you know at full utilization. So by trying to say like we see more and more people coming in to say, well, I really need to go from you know these two points that may not be on an exact fixed bus route, you know, how can we use that information and data coming in through those those uh, applications and, and trip requests to see, can we do those again with our with our own services, which again, the fixed route, getting them to a fixed route bus or the paratransit services, which we have, you know, probably 110 or so vans uh, out, uh, you know, a good share of the day um, and, and certainly at peak hours. Um, so I, that, those are definitely ways I think that we're trying to use technology even more again with this brokerage service to try to get more and more people into the system. Well, this sounds like it. Uh, if we talk about uh, what's happening with transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft, this sounds like uh, an, an alternative to that of where you're using excess capacity in an already existing public system to provide point to point ride services. Would that be uh, correct? Yeah. It's my favorite topic. Um, the uh, the biggest challenge with uh, any innovation in public transportation is that when the funds run out, the service runs out. When the grant money runs out, mm -hmm. the service runs out. That's true. That's the biggest problem that we have had, which is why there was a need to come up with companies like Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. However, there was one startling difference between what these TNCs do and what we do. If you, if you noted, 
Uh, I don't know if he got that in the recording or not, but uh, Bruno mentioned that the F or more mentioned that the FTE dollar driver wages are about twenty nine dollars. Yes, $29, right? Mm-hmm. They don't own the vehicles. They don't pay for the vehicles. However, your TNCs, they get $15 an hour, and they bring their own vehicles to work. Mm. So you wouldn't know the difference between livable wages and non-livable wages. So that's one. But the more important thing is that there is significant amount of available assets in the country in the government-funded transportation. They're not being used efficiently. And now we've got this grant from MassDOT to see if we can create a sustainable microtransit service, which means we use the grant money to build and seed or jumpstart the sustainable service. But then it runs by itself without additional funds from the government. And we do that by looking at who's paying for transportation. And then can we bring them all into one vehicle if they're going from same location to same location? Now you'll see the irony in this whole, uh, in Boston area, that we provide probably the same demography services in brokerage as the ADA paratransit services, right? Mm -hmm. We use the same providers that the state uses there. Yet we are at $21 a ride and they're at $58 a ride. Something must be different. And one of the biggest differences is that they have three providers, we have 97. And that business model that we have cultivated in Massachusetts is getting increasingly adopted by a lot of states. And- uh, What are some of those states that are kind of uh, mimicking that model? Oh, I can rattle about 10, 12 of them to you. Yeah, but so the recent, recent one is North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's the latest, but Georgia, Mississippi, New York, uh, Hawaii, uh, Texas, and uh, Florida. I mean, okay. You name them, a lot of them have adopted the same business model, except that Mart is not empowered to share their business model because they are a local six-state-oriented or- company with 161B restrictions. Mm-hmm. So we are looking to see if we can export this business model from Massachusetts to other states, whereby creating even more jobs here by exporting our transportation business model in other states. Mm. Where we benefit is we could talk about this business model everywhere and people try to uh, see if they can emulate the model. Mm. So there's a lot of benefits that we offer because the, the drivers don't have to bring their own vehicles and incur the cost. You know, it does cost 59 cents per mile to run a vehicle mm-hmm. as per IRS. Mm-hmm. So you can do the math on your own. But Those the are regular... Mini, uh, that cars. The cars. And the, yeah. the, the vans, is, vans is even more. Yeah. So I think the important thing here is that we have a state agency that is leveraging technology, local resources, to not only do economic development, but actually run a very efficient business. Mm. And one of the things that I mentioned, uh, was actually mentioned to Mo all the time, is that this is a pure Massachusetts solution. Mm. The broker is Massachusetts, the HST, the the funding sources are Massachusetts, the technology company is Massachusetts, all the 280 providers are Massachusetts based. All the jobs get created in Massachusetts. All the vehicles are procured in Massachusetts. So it's a, it's a very nice model that different states can 
adopt. Minister, okay. for a second, if we go to Uber or Lyft, that lot of money goes out of the state. Uh, because they, the people who are in Massachusetts, the driver, they get that $15. But the rest of it goes to California. So we have to convince the, both the HST and the DOT. One of the areas that I was thinking when we were thinking about preparation for this is that we have a wheelchair-based vehicles. Because of the federal requirement and which money we use, we have to have it ADA-approved vehicles. So we have a lot of them. If we can concentrate on those vehicles for carrying, say, for example, handicapped people uh, on a wheelchair primarily, and ask the private sector vendor to go out for the non-handicapped, for example. I do not know how it will work, but that will bring them to buy a cheap, cheaper price vans, which is not having a lift equipped that might reduce their cost even more for them. And we, not only us, but also other transit authorities, which all of us have to have a lot of this handicap, buses, vans, anything you say, we have to have it. So we can concentrate on that, but that requires some cooperation with the HST and the DOT that we can go to other places and run it. <laughs> so, so that itself requires something, but that sh should be able to reduce a lot of cost. Okay. I'm sorry. One other important factor that you have to know, being a public agency, being a for-profit agency, all of the data that we collect can be used by public agencies. Mm. Whereas the problem with TNCs is they will not share their data with you. Mm. And we have found a way around that, but. I'm just sharing that there are challenges with the data going into the TNC's coffers yeah. that you don't get them out. Whereas our data, like HST just asked, the Human Services Transportation Department just asked us for FY19 data from all the brokers. Mm -hmm. And we have to give them the entire trip volume for all the brokers to them on a, in a format that they can import in their databases to do analysis. So mm -hmm. I think these are factors that are very critical that typically don't make it to the surface. Yeah, these are very important factors. I know that we're going to have to wrap up here shortly, but I do want to have a, if, if there are any of, uh, I, I'm thinking about policies that we should be thinking about that either are currently in place that are helping or hindering the work that you do here. Uh, we did talk about 161B restrictions. Are, are there any other um, laws or policies that we need to be thinking about to kind of help improve uh, service delivery across the state? We have... Um we have to work with the human service agency because they have a lot of requirements. Um, some of them we do not understand or know, but that's what they want. Uh, if we can bring it down to um, a comprehensive understanding, we might have be able to help them. Like we have to guard against the welfare of a client. That is the issue. It's not like, because this is this group of client, we cannot share that right with somebody else, okay? So uh, there, there is no harm in sharing with somebody else because we know who are the other people are and we can bring them together. We do not have that flexibility. We have to work with them, whatever they say. 
and so this is one of the area that you know the rules regulations the other one is the the state um, dot our transportation department um, we have 15 transit authority all over the place uh, we are not required we cannot go and provide a service when our van leaves Fitchburg Lumster we do go to hospitals in Boston area this is not the HST our regular service take our elderly and handicapped people to hospitals in Boston the moment we cross Littleton which is our community we cannot stop and pick up anybody and uh, but we can stop to go to the Emerson hospitals and others and we can pick up from Emerson Hospital to come here, provided the other leg of the trip is in our area. Uh, so legally, we cannot charge anybody. We have a, uh, I mean, we have serious problem. Like you know, we run services in Air, Massachusetts, to in hospitals uh, very close to Groton, and we we when we go there, FTA requires us a three quarter of a mile. You have to provide an ADA service, van service, that goes into another transit authority area. We have no ability to charge them any money, like in Groton. So those are the, un the things could be straightened. And, and so it sounds like there is not an ability for the RTAs on those kinds of services to be able to collaborate and coordinate to improve efficiencies on those types of rides. Yeah. That's absolutely a very critical piece. This is where the 161B restrictions come in place. But there's another element about the human services transportation. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll give you some numbers. 70% of all transportation is known 24 hours in advance for anybody. Mm. You don't want to whim decide, let's go to this birthday party. You don't want to whim decide, let's go to the, to the football game. Mm. You have to buy tickets. You have to buy, you know, plan. Movies, you can but a lot, or going to a beer party, you know, club is fine, uh, bar is fine. But 70% of all our transportation requirements are known 24 hours in advance, mm -hmm. at least. 95% of all our medical appointments are known well in advance. Mm -hmm. Yet, human services transportation is viewed as an entitlement service. Mm -hmm. So as many as 20% of our calls for reservations come either the day before or the same day. Mm. And that, these cost savings that we have always been able to achieve is when we have opportunity to plan the transportation and give the providers more time to be able to accommodate more people on the same vehicles, bringing the cost down. That gets taken away when you have only 24 hours to find a vendor, mm -hmm. which is what causes the continuous pressure on the price per trip. So if there is a policy in the making where the members can be requested to call 48 hours in advance or 72 hours in advance, and we, you know, we don't have to deal with 20% of the calls coming in or rides being booked 24, you know, within 24 hours in advance. That could be a huge help in reducing the cost even better, which allows us to give more rides. The eight of us then got to talking more about the lack of transit services in low density areas. I spoke with Bonnie Mahoney, the communications and grants manager for MART, and again with Humanshu and Mo. So we're talking about having transit service available in areas that don't meet minimum density requirements, which are uh, typically uh, uh, pro proposed by uh, transit agencies. 
And as we think about where the true need is around the state, we need to start prioritizing, I think, more of the needs of people across the state rather than only focusing transit investments in places where there's high density. And so I'm going to let you guys take it from here. Okay. So, um, like I was saying, that Fitchburg being a gateway city, and you know the very uh, the importance of the economic development, and that people from the Montachusett region that March serves in these smaller communities like Templeton or or even Gardner, even though it's a city, it's still a smaller city, and then you know the more rural communities like Winchington and Templeton and Westminster, they all are trying to get into Fitchburg to get to jobs or get to the commuter rail to get to jobs that are even beyond our own um, region. But so the need for the transportation in those towns is just as great as it is here in Fitchburg and Lemonster. And so, and making those important connections and being able to have um, services that traditional fixed route, but also going and thinking of innovative ways to go beyond just the traditional fixed route, because like we were saying, the, um, they having places that aren't as dense, having traditional fixed route isn't necessarily cost effective. So if we can find, like um, Mart has started a number of shuttle services to get people to, you know, either to jobs out to Devons or from Gardner to Fitchburg to get onto the commuter rail, or even just to get into Fitchburg, um, to be able to make those important connections for people from areas that are less dense maybe into the gateway city or into places beyond the gateway city is very important. So as we think about transit-oriented development, it sounds like in addition to fixed route, we should start thinking more about flexible route services, ways that are actually meeting people where they are now. Of course, it would be ideal to have people and their jobs and all of the activities and the things that they need to access in one location. But in the absence of that, we need to be more innovative. So can you, is there something else you want to say about that? I think uh, taking the cue from what Bonnie just said, uh, we, the the microtransit project that we have launched, uh, testing in message in Fitchburg right now, is actually a pilot project. The intense, the purpose of that is it's a service between fixed route and paratransit. Paratransit being pure demand response, and qualified people who are ADA qualified or seniors who can be provided paratransit. Fixed route is for general public, but it runs on well-defined published fixed routes. The reality is that the real demand is in between the two. Mm. You want to be able to provide demand response, but to general public. Mm. And the question is, how do you run a taxi service? You cannot. So you have to create a concept of shared ride services for public transportation, for general public, utilizing innovative ways. So the innovation we are looking bringing into the table is that we'll staff the same vehicles with NEMT, which is the Human Services Transportation Rides, and we typically have a lot of capacity in these vehicles, and then offer the extra capacity to general public to still do door-to-door -door or curb-to-curb transportation, but we don't have the requirement of FTA to publish those routes mm. like we have to do in fixed route. And that's one big difference between what this microtransit concept is going to bring in versus what we do currently. So it's a service between fixed route and paratransit right in the middle, offering door-to-door -door transportation, curb-to-curb -curb transportation for general public. So that's a good explanation of what microtransit uh, really is. And it's kind of filling a gap that uh, people have really been looking towards the TNCs or the transportation network companies to fill. I, I just want to um, 
explain in, from a being an administrator instead of going to the you know the planning and everything what has happened uh, we have we use we when we started going to Worcester area for our hospitals primarily for medical care for our elderly population and any other handicap uh, and veterans um, we didn't have that much ridership I mean we did have in Boston not there but when st we started looking into that uh, stopping more than in a hospital like in the court system they had a court uh, you know system in there and we decided that let us stop there all of a sudden our ridership has gone up i have a majority of people going to Ustar we're going to the court and then finally found out that there are a lot of people who are cannot afford a car cannot go to the court and our court has moved from Fitchburg to Ustar because of the consolidation uh, and all of a sudden we discover an unmet need uh, so that's very important. One thing I wanted to add on, sort of a, related back to your comment about the, the TA, the Transit Oriented Development, is we could use something like that as sort of a marketing boom to be able to not only develop the Transit Oriented Development and like in downtown Fitchburg, like here, and so not only the people could live and work and all be in the same area, but those same jobs can also attract some of these people who are in the more outer communities who are looking to come to those jobs as well. And so kind of piggybacking off of that to say, hey, there is this service. We can bring you from the outer regions to Fitchburg to those jobs in that transit-oriented um, zone or whatever. And then, you know, um, a lot of times uh, people don't realize the biggest thing we hear as MART of fixed route services, people just don't know that the services exist, even though they're there and they've been around for 40 years because MART's been operating for 40 years. I'm still surprised every time I, I go to an outreach event to find out people just don't know about all the services that we offer. So being able to sort of piggyback off that of the marketing, teach them about travel training to get them on the fixed route. There are lots of people who ride ADA who might be able to do um, a fixed route if they had the proper travel training and stuff like that. So just kind of using it as a, a launching point to, to let people know about the services that are there, let them know about the innovative things we're developing and kind of boost it all together. And, and for our listening audience, I know that we had talked, I think it was off the recording, about um, the cost difference between getting a private service to go to Worcester versus taking your uh, your on-demand service. And so could you kind of tell that story again? So um, uh, Mo was referencing a, um, a gentleman in Winchington who used to pay a lot of money to get um, to the hospitals down in Worcester. Well, Mart has services that we have a Winchington link that goes from the center of Winchington, which comes into Gardner, and then they could catch a Gardner bus to Fitchburg, and then from Fitchburg, we have our Worcester shuttle, which would then go to um, all the hospitals in Worcester, as well as um, the WRTA hub, um, Union Station, as well as the courthouse that Mo was referencing. So for... Um, $40, um, less, $20 round trip on the shuttle, and then $4 for each, uh, for the round trip on the bus, uh, as compared to 
the three hundred dollars round trip, um, you know, previous to having all these services. So that that's a savings for the customer. That's a savings for any maybe funding agency that's trying to help that customer. Um, so have to ask though I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit because when we talk about access and mobility we also talk about not only the cost but also the time so what's the time difference between you know taking that direct shuttle service for $300 even though it's, it's a phenomenal amount of money um, versus taking the bus and the shuttle service for $25 dollars well, that is one thing, one complaint that we do hear that, you know, someone will complain, well, even not even like a, a long trip like that, because like if I drove my car from Winchington to Worcester, it would take an hour. Um, so two hours round trip um, if you don't hit bad traffic <laughs> and you, it will take it will take maybe an hour and a half. To, to maybe two hours if the timing of the connections isn't quite right yeah, think, um, but so but the, the the cost the time savings and the cost savings no they're not equivalent but there there's still there's so many other factors but it's not a comparison of like an hour versus five hours you know so yeah because that that is a challenge in some areas we do have we, we do have uh, enough and I think what Bonnie was trying earlier to say travel training. We know when the buses are leaving and going where, so we can carve out a time that is more efficient for that individual to take, and this microtransit project automatically will do it through the computer. Uh, so the, in other words, that sitting in Boston, we might not think about that individual spending $300 in Wingenden to go to Worcester, yeah. but we do, and that forty dollar or twenty dollar is a life saving for them. Three hundred dollars a month is a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you can, uh, if you cannot provide public transportation to be help folks who really need it, then what's the point of having public transportation? Yeah. About to say about a trip. A trip? Yeah. A trip? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, on that note, <laughs> that was actually a very good summarizing point, but it's 300 a trip, not a month. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so, but that is a great way for us to kind of end this conversation because, you know, what is the point of having public transit if it's not available for the public? Um, thank you very much. This was a fascinating conversation. I learned so much about the value that RTAs bring to our regions across the state. I mean, it's more than just about bus service. Our RTAs are filling very unique needs, uh, providing not only health and human service uh, appointment uh, brokerage services, but also, you know, shuttle services that are needed across the state. For example, Mart's also providing uh, a, a, a services for veterans to be able to get uh, to places that they need to go. And they're also providing shuttle services for areas that just aren't served by single RTAs, like getting people back and forth from Fitchburg to Worcester. They're also looking at uh, doing some unique things in Devons, which is a budding uh, community uh, that's near Leminster and in between Fitchburg and Leminster. So in addition to uh, providing transit service, our RTAs are doing very, uh, uh, so in addition to providing transit services, our RTAs are doing some very unique things and also are helping to develop our uh, regions economically. You heard from Humanshu about what it did for his business, but think about the 240 other businesses that were started thanks to the work of Mart. 
We'll continue to keep up with the folks at MART and at our other RTAs across the state. But for now, that's all the time that we have for this episode of Gateways. I'm Dr. Tracy Corley. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about MART's innovative and strategic methods of brokering services. Thank you so much to the people we spoke to in this episode. Mo Khan, Humanchu Bhatnagar, Bruno Fisher, and Bonnie Mahoney, as well as the other wonderful regional team members we spoke to but were unable to fit into this episode. That includes David Dunn, Melissa Lakaya, and Rebecca Badgley from MART, as well as George Kahali from the Massachusetts Regional Planning Commission. I want to thank our sponsors, MassMutual, Trinity Financial, Eastern Bank, the Barr Foundation, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. This episode was produced by Libby Gormley. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.